Today, we are talking about, um, there's a handful of people that are known as like some of the most well-known alleged UFO alien encounter people in the world. Travis Walton would be one of them. I guess abductees too. Like he'd be an abductee. Mm, yeah. Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. One of the other ones is a guy named Christopher Bledsoe. Senior. Uh, senior. And uh, if he, you know, if it happens to make it to production someday, he's actually, I based the main character in in this script that I'm writing recently on him. That's how much I liked okay. his story. Yes. It's not exactly, but I took a lot of maybe his like uh, persona and wrote it into the character of this script for the show. Mm-hmm. And um, show is about UFOs. Big surprise. So he's yeah. a, he's, he's got a crazy story with lots of, I mean, he's been doing this for like 15, 20 years, like mm-hmm. being public about um, having an encounter at this point, many, many, many encounters with what he, you know, some sort of, entity that we he doesn't know what it is or yeah he has some ideas about what it might be but um yeah he's he's one of those guys that he's been on the history channel he's been on fox news he's probably not been on cnn i don't know uh they don't do as much ufo stuff he's he's been out there he's been he's he's a guy that in the ufo world if you say the name chris bledsoe a lot of people know who you're talking about yeah did you know who he was before I suggested no, it. No, not before. Um, if you are not familiar with Chris Bledsoe and you get into researching him, it can be a little bit obtuse at first because you'd think for as public as he's been for the last, especially the last couple of years, he would tell stories in a more linear way. But he's kind of matter of fact about everything that he's telling you about. So, Seeing orbs of light, that's unusual. That doesn't happen to most people. Um, and then in the middle of when he's talking about that, he drops that he's a commercial pilot. And okay, well, not everybody's a commercial pilot. And then he talks about, you know, his his first wife died and he discovered the car wreck mm-hmm. and she died in his arms. And you're kind of like, but he completely like blows right past that while he's talking about orbs of light. So you, yeah. I mean, I or being shot with a, a yeah, shotgun was, at age ten. It's another one of the notes. Uh, I miraculous, took. miraculously surviving. Yeah, um, getting poisoned by his doctor. I mean, he's got all of these little unusual anecdotes that he kind of mentions in passing while he's talking about his relationship with these orbs of light. Um, and I think, if nothing else, he's had a pretty unusual life. Um, yeah. And he sure says it in a, like such a non-fantastic way that I think, well, he's he doesn't seem rehearsed and polished, I guess, is one thing to say about him that makes him credible. Yeah, and the other thing about him is it's not, well, it's not just him. His whole family is wrapped up in it. Right. So um, his son has a podcast called Blood So Said So, yeah. and has been... Well, he has he has several sons, but w- one of them very public and very you know much. He was on the Danny Jones podcast mm-hmm. after uh, Chris was on, and um, he's very public with it. And I think his other son is sometimes public, but not definitely not as much. Right. And his daughter is involved, and but not just like they're telling his stories. I think the interesting thing about Bledsoe Senior is 
you can get on his Instagram page right now and pretty much every other day he's posting videos of orbs showing up in his backyard. And he doesn't strike me as a VFX kind of guy. <laughs> like, no, like I definitely don't, not. I don't yeah. think that he's, and they're very, like, it's just a cell phone. He's just take out his cell phone and you go, look, there's, he'll point it at the, and, and the weird thing is, some of it's not that spectacular. It's yeah. well, most of it's not that spectacular. Yeah. It's like he'll point it at the tree line in his backyard, and you'll see like some balls of light kind of flare up and then disappear and then flare up and then, and he's you know talking to him and you know, doing his thing. It is strange if you think about it. Like, what is that? Like, what are those lights? Mm -hmm. And uh, it goes way back to. The first encounter he had, I think, in 2007 is when it all started. Uh, his story, if you listen to him tell it, probably, I'd say Danny Jones' podcast is the best version of it. Uh, I've heard him yeah. give it on a few, but if you want a real long, in-depth, him telling the story from beginning to end, that's the best way to go. But he had a lot, a lot of problems. He had a um, you know successful business. Everything collapsed, taken away. And then he ends up uh, going fishing with his, I think his son and some friends. Yeah. And um, in the course of that fishing trip is wandering in the woods, kind of depressed and, you know, praying slash, you know, kind of, what am I going to do, God kind of thing. And these three huge orbs of light show up and uh, freak him out. And uh, there's a whole... He'll, he, you can listen to his whole story on it. I mean, I'm just giving you like the broad strokes, but he basically is, you know, lost some time. You know, he ends, ends up, you know, hiding from these orbs of light. They're massive. He thinks it's the sun. It's right. so bright. He thinks it's the sun. And then when he gets closer to it, it realizes it's not the sun because the sun is over there and this is over here. And um, yeah. eventually- And there's more than one of them. And then, yeah. then there's more than one. And he eventually makes his way back to the camp and they're freaking out, these other guys, because they're like, where have you been? He's like, I was just- down the street and they're like, you've been gone for hours. We've been looking mm -hmm. everywhere for you. And he's like, I was just 10 minutes away. Yeah. And um, then his son is missing at that point because his son had gone looking for him. Right. So it's a long night of chasing orbs and looking for well, each other. Yeah, chasing chasing orbs, searching down the sun, and then finding that the orbs now are chasing him. They all load yeah. up in the truck. And yeah. Making a run for it. And at some point the orb one of the orbs is just a few feet above the sunroof of his truck. And uh, so when you talk about his family members are all giving accounts of things that have happened. And friends and, that were there. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Just so him. yeah, you're right. I was just going to agree with what you're saying. Like, you know, you've got, you've got four, four other guys there on this fishing trip that, that could give the same account. Um, you know, kind of like Travis Walton, similar, yes, similar situation. Yeah. A lot like that. Yeah. But, uh, Bledsoe, he's in, well, it just keeps, it keeps happening. It's not like, like that was just the tip of the iceberg that right. just kind of, uh, awakened him to like, well, something strange is going on. Um, I think he left that whole situation freaked out, not knowing exactly what it was. Then over time, they eventually, um, reported it to MUFON, which is the mutual UFO network. <laughs> Such a strange, strange organization to exist, yeah. but it's true. Like it's where civilians will, well, civilians report uh, UFOs. I have a personal theory that I'm pretty sure it's like a controlled disinformation organization. 
but uh, you know, that's just not me. a bad theory. Yeah. Well, I think it's you know I, that that's based on my own personal experience with them. Okay. I when oh, did I you call them. Yeah, when I saw a UFO for the first time, I reported it to MUFON because a buddy of mine told me I should. And I'll say this: this is what's strange about MUFON is. I I didn't really think much of it. And then like they emailed me back like a few days later, a very detailed report of like everything in the sky. Every, like they were like, there's this, there's this. like somebody took a lot of time to look into my case, which yeah. I thought my initial thought was like, I don't have time to do that. Right. Like yeah. who has time to do this? And then even afterwards, they mailed me a handwritten letter oh. thanking me for contacting them and all of it was just like too much. It was like, yeah, yeah. who has time to do this? And that's when I thought like, so he, they, they were trying to tell me that what I saw was some satellite. Okay. And so I said, fair enough. I emailed him back and I said, well, if what I saw was that satellite, then it must be that lots of people see that. Do you know where I could see video of that from someone else witnessing that? And they're like, yeah, nothing. And I was like, well, okay, well, I'm pretty sure if what I saw happens all the time, then sure, people would have like video of it. Somebody it. would have video of it. Yeah. Um, I think what I saw doesn't happen very often. I think they were disinformation, like trying to tell me, <laughs> oh, you just saw a satellite. Don't worry about it. The I was listening to that uh, Tucker Carlson interview that you sent to me. Mm -hmm. And the line came to mind just now where he made a just a real like quick comment about, they're spooked enough to bother to lie about it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say like, well, they really put a lot of time <laughs> into documenting all these things that were in the it's sky. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that much of it until yeah. they send me a handwritten like, Christmas card saying, yeah. thank you for contacting sort us. Sort of like if your kids call me if you <laughs> see it again. <laughs> yeah, you ask your kids if they if they broke the bowl on the kitchen floor. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they've got a 30-minute story about everything they did to tell you how yeah. for sure it was not them. And you're like, boy, that was a lot of detail. Well, I, and I, and I think that too, like this plays into the Bledsoe story. Cause I think he probably feels the same way because he reported to them. I think that MUFON has a history of leaking stories to media mm -hmm. and then media kind of latching onto those stories and they don't tell you they're going to do that. Like mm -hmm. they don't, I think I think it helps. I don't know how it helps move on, but either way, I think that Bledsoe ended up. I forget who did the story on him, but like shortly after the first incident, um, they were featured on some network, Ancient Aliens or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a it was a it was like a it was a you know the whole thing was set up to make them look stupid. Like the whole time yeah, they were yeah. interviewing them, they were thinking, oh, they take this seriously. It's going to be a whatever. And then when the actual show comes out, yeah, it makes them, it made him look crazy and, yeah. and they were really not happy about it. So Bledsoe himself was like, I'm not, I think that played a role. He, he was uh, for a, for a while, like five or six years, mm -hmm. he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He didn't want to talk about it. He yeah. didn't want anybody. Cause he was just like, all it's done is now my kids are getting made fun of and my, you know, the whole thing is, ruined his life, you know, yeah. but, uh, that bled. So said, so podcast with the son, Ryan, uh, I listened to episode nine, which has the transcript of the regression hypnosis. Oh yeah. Um, from the documentary you're talking about. Yeah. And I believe it was discovery channel. Yeah, that's right. And Ryan Bledsoe says it's worth the time 
to watch the discovery documentary, even though it's like a, what he hatchet job the family kind of, yeah, the family considers it. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Smear piece. But, um, I, I searched around for it for a brief moment. I didn't find it, but it's, Sounds like it's available. It's, I know it somewhere. is one of his uh, one of their episodes. The whole okay. thing is on there. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's worth looking into. But I think the way you just described that is a more coherent way of explaining what happened to them, um, because they're they're so close to it. I think they're still kind of hurt feelings about mm. you know yeah. You got this dad who wasn't really into aliens. He was in a vulnerable place to begin with, with the failing business. And, you know, he's got a family to support. And then he has this encounter. He's sort of sheepish about sharing it with whoever the authorities are that he's supposed to share it with. He finally calls MUFON and then things don't work out better for him. Yeah. Quite the contrary. Yeah. And he got to the point where MUFON was contacting him because of this woman, uh, Diana Pasolka, which mm-hmm. I haven't quite finished this, but she, I'm not on the camera yet. I'll hold it up till they come on. But um, she wrote American Cosmic at the right. time. And this is her newest book called Encounters, which is really good. American Cosmic is fantastic too, but um, this is a great one. And so she is a professor of religion uh, from North Carolina, not far from where the Bledsoe's live. Actually, her, her his son is like neighbors with her. Before all this happened. Ryan is the neighbor? I believe so, okay. yeah. And so before all of this went down, they happened to be just close to each other. Diana is study, studying religion and through the process of that, studying UFOs and encounters and belief systems, all of that. Anyway, so MUFON contacts... Chris Sr. and ask him to come to a conference that Diana is speaking at. Mm. And um, he goes, and he's speaking there too. And I guess somehow through those conferences, they they met, but they didn't get a lot of chances, the chance to talk and to get to know each other. Long story short, eventually she contacts him and, and wants him to um, meet some of the people in her book. This is like back in 2012. Mm. The people, government insiders and, and, and NASA people that she's talking to that want to talk to him. And he doesn't want to talk to him. And, yeah, yeah. and a big part of his story is he tells her, well, I got to back up. So before all that happened, one of the other major things that happened to him was he had an encounter with, he called the, the lady. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, Easter, I think, and this is, I don't know, probably back in 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And uh, he has an encounter at three o'clock in the morning. He's asleep. He hears a voice and it says, wake, arise or something. He wakes up yeah. and there's like these three hooded figures in his room, according to him. And they take him out into the woods near his house and he encounters, it's, it's a long story. You can hear him tell it, but they give him some furry little critter 
That oh, that's he, right. That he, yeah, that he doesn't yeah. know what it is, and it's like has no head and no tail, and it's like just spiky. Yeah, and it's like yeah. the size of like a big sausage, uh-huh. and it's like prickly. And yeah. they hand it to him, and they say, "This is your burden, or this is yeah. this is for you, or don't yeah. lose this." And God, then they dis- then they disappear, of... and then he's like, he's just stuck with yeah, this he's, he's, he doesn't thing. know what to do with it, but he's right next to his dog kennels. Yeah. So he takes it and he puts it in the dog kennels just so it doesn't get get away, and he shuts the kennel. And then when he turns around, there's a tree in front of him. And I don't know if there was like a flash of light or something happens. And out of this tree jumps this gigantic 1,200-pound bull. Yeah, He sees this bull like just appear, and it charges him and just runs over him. And so he falls backwards, and he can see when he looks up, like he can see through the bull. It's like translucent. Right. And he's he's freaking out about the bull, and he's like trying to figure out what's going on. Going on, and he turns around, and then standing right in front of him is the lady, and it's this beautiful. He describes it as uh, a fair-haired, white Roman dress, barefoot apparition of a woman hovering like three feet off the ground, and that kind of starts this whole like I don't know what you want to call it, like. Uh, he was already on a journey, but it's like a little more directed at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I recall, he was just like everybody else, unable to capture any of this stuff on video up to this point. And I think when he's talking to the yeah. lady, you know, she's saying it's your job to tell the world about about us. this. Yeah. And, and he's kind of <laughs> like, I think a lot of us would be, well, then let me get some pictures yeah. and stuff. Quit fouling up my equipment. Because he had a camera yeah. where he, he had a, an orb he was trying to video and it like fried the camera. Yeah. Um, but she, according to him, uh, told him a lot of information that was going to like prophetic, prophetic stuff that was going to happen in the future. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting because I mean, since that incident, it is true that quite a few, uh, people from NASA, (laughs) like, serious uh, people started looking into his story and like coming and they were wanting to study his brain and they were going to talk to him. And mm-hmm. um, one of them was Hal. Uh, pa- Pavenmeyer. Pavenmeyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, who is, who is, if you look him up, he is a wacky, wacky guy, but he also was a NASA scientist who mapped the moon and did like a lot of like serious science stuff. Yeah. And so uh, he had some wacky ideas like many of the guys that we talk about, Jack Parsons and, you know, whoever might be, but there was a lot of people that are brilliant, but also have some pretty strange ideas. Yeah. You know? I think that there's a certain amount of alchemy to that. And I don't know if we were talking about it or if I was talking about it with somebody else, but yeah, to have a certain kind of genius, there's usually a certain amount of wackiness that is in there with it. And you're right. Uh, Parsons is a good example, but when I hear that this Hal Pavemeyer was kind of a character, I'm thinking, well, if he's as smart as he would have been working, you know, on mapping the moon and everything else, then he probably was a quirky dude. He probably didn't op. I mean, I think of, um, (laughs) I used to play in a band with the guy they called Kid Prodigy and the Mm -hmm. kid, the guy, I mean, he literally carried around like one of these little, like a, a little cardboard 
I like a notification for him to be able to play in bars because he was under twenty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. His parents had signed it, but um, could play circles around everyone, um, and do backflips while he was doing it. So he's like a pretty accomplished gymnast, uh, amazing guitar player. He played in like a a Queen tribute band that. Who's like his a, name? I know who Brian you're Gresh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he uh, not just like any Queen tribute band like that you see. At the bar, yeah, but like, like the a Queen, tribute like a band. national touring yeah. Queen tribute band. He played the Brian May parts, um, and when he's not doing that, he's a mechanical engineer. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I just played a gig with him a couple weeks ago, and he's kind of like, oh, I haven't picked up the guitar for a few years, and he's still unbelievable. <laughs> um, but I say all that to say, one of the first times I was at his house, we're going down to the basement to rehearse, and the banister's kind of loose. And he's like, oh, sorry, yeah, it's a little loose. My dad and I were trying to calculate our horsepower. And I was like, you what? <laughs> and he and his dad had figured out the equation, you know, the angle of the stairs and how quick they get up it. And they were trying to go faster and faster. And they were using the banister, like pull <laughs> themselves up for more momentum to generate more horsepower. Um, and I guess I say all that to say, this is when he was 17, he was doing that. And I just think that's not what I was doing when I was 17. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so smart people do weird stuff. He, their characters, he had, a, he had a lot of guys like that, that I think, um, legitimate, you know, scientists. And, um, that's, that's kind of a, I, I don't know. That's, that's a fact. I don't think you can, can dispute. It's, it, it's kind of like, okay, kind of quirky guy in the woods in North Carolina makes a lot of really, um, wild claims about encounters. But the fact that all of these, NASA scientists and people like Diana and the people that she interviewed in her book, mm-hmm. and, like they were all seriously taking an interest in him. And then some of that has to do, that, that was my point with the, the the lady encounter. He has this encounter with this lady who uh, tells him a lot of things are, that are going to happen and people he's going to meet, blah, blah, blah. And he's supposed to tell his story. And then he doesn't want to, except that she said at the time that she would guide him, that if he would do it, she would be there to guide him every step of the way. So anyway, Diana's trying to get him to talk uh, to some of her people and he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. And then he says, if I'm supposed to do it, the lady will give me a sign. And it's like up to the night before this conference, these people are all going back to wherever they came from and they're not going to get a chance to talk to him. And he's in his house and outside of their house, it's like been raining all of a sudden there's a big tree out in front of their house that just explodes yeah, yeah. into f- flames and they don't know what's going on. And they have video of this. He, he's shown that, it's when you're wild. talking about videos. That was the one that, that was the most captivating to me. It looks yeah. like somebody poured a, a, a tank of gasoline inside this old tree and lit it on fire. Mm-hmm. And apparently it, it was flamed up. They don't know how it started on fire. It just started. And then, uh, they kept putting it out and it just ignite back up. So it's a burning bush. It's, it's a, yes, you know, yeah. where you're like, what is going on? So then, yeah, he called Diana and was like, I'll be there tomorrow. You know, <laughs> like the next day he's like, I'll be there. And I had a sign. Yeah. Uh, and so it's pretty wild. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain that, except one of the hard things about explaining blood. So is there's just so much to him. Like, it's not just he had this encounter. Yeah. He literally has 2,500 videos of orbs that have 
shown up. And when he talks about these encounters with his kids, like he would get the kids up right. in the middle of the night and be like, oh my gosh. He's talking about like 50 foot long orbs hovering over their house. Pretty strange. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, what... I mean, he 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 faced a lot of backlash, and some of this I don't know if I disagree with. I mean, what exactly he thinks that they're angels. He thinks that's what they are, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people in his church disowned him because they're like, it's demonic. You shouldn't be talking to these things. You should blah blah blah. But they healed him. That was another part of yeah, his story. Is right. that he was very sick, and they had this encounter, and then he yeah, was healed. He was suffering and, from Crohn's disease yeah. pretty seriously. And then, yeah, no his, issues after. Yeah, that his first thought was like, "Well, inter- if they're evil, why are they, why are they healing me? That right. doesn't make any yeah. sense." Um, but they could still be evil if they're healing you, Chris. He's got, I'm just yeah. <laughs> He's got accounts of yeah, other people that have been around and then have been healed from cancer and yeah. a few different things like that. Um, yeah, that's funny. That crossed my mind too. He he made the comment of, "Well, why would this happen or that?" And I'm like. I think, didn't Satan heal some people in the Bible too? Well, if I were a deceitful person, I would do a lot of things to make you think I was not. I'm really torn because I've, I mean, I don't know, Chris, but like the answer of, is this a good or a bad thing? I'm more inclined to say it's a bad thing. I'm less inclined to say it's some benevolent force. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, part of what... Is that I find interesting is his encounter with the lady, and there's been more than one. And I don't know if you know, like in Catholic culture, that is um, that's a common thing for uh, to not just any lady, but um, the Virgin Mary appearing in different points in human history mm. since Christ's death. Are you do you know about any of that? Nope. Like, are you familiar with Our Lady of Guadalupe? Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I know the phrase. Our Do you know what that story is? Do you know anything no, about it? I think I've okay, seen so pictures of it. But. This is, uh, any good Catholic would just know this story, but sure. it's a true story. I mean, as far as the, you know, what happened from this story. So I don't remember what year it is. I know it's in Mexico. Um, there's, you know, an encounter, a, a young boy has, like he meets... He's out, out, out in the countryside and he, he sees some, you know, something that catches his attention and eventually he has an encounter with who he perceives to be the Virgin Mary, an apparition of the Virgin Mary, beautiful, similar to how Bledsoe describes the lady, like beautiful, glowing woman tells him, I want you to build a cathedral here and I'm going to butcher this story, but some Catholic's going to comment about it, whatever. This is the broad strokes. Okay, broad as- strokes. He says... She says, build a church here. He goes back to the local bishop, and the bishop says, you're crazy, whatever. Tell her, if you're really seeing the Virgin Mary, bring me a sign. It's like the dead middle of winter. He goes back to the same spot, and I think there's a bunch of roses there. Mm-hmm. And the lady appears and says, take him all of these roses as a sign that that this is true. And so he takes his Telma kind of like cloth thing, and he gathers up all of these roses, and he takes them to the bishop to show him, and he like lays them down at his feet, and everybody gasps. And he thinks they're looking at the roses and then imprinted on the Telma, that image that you see of hmm. Our Lady of Guadalupe that was imprinted on the cloth. And that's still in Mexico City. You can go see it today. And it's been studied by a lot of people. I mean, obviously, there are people that will agree and disagree about it, but it's a 
whether you, you, you could say it's some sort of hoax, you could say it's some sort of whatever, but the results of it are the mass conversion of the entire state of Mexico to Catholicism, like almost overnight. So that was the, the catalyst for it. Yeah, it was okay. a big catalyst for it. I think a lot of people, uh, it was like a, you know, a lot of times that kind of conversion has to be accompanied by yeah, more it's some kind of an conquering imperial. Yeah. imperial. Like a lot of people yeah. die to get yeah, you to become it's, Catholic. It's funny, that's, that's like, exactly when you said, oh, that was a mass conversion. And it's exactly where my head went right away. It was like, yeah, yeah or. This is a mass conversion that no bloodshed happened. Okay. And that's kind that of what's rare. miraculous yeah. about yeah. it, that um, all of a lot of Mexicans really took their faith seriously based on this story. Anyway, uh, that's kind of what I found interesting about it because – Obviously, the I don't think the Vatican has vetted or anyone has like studied Bledsoe's account, mm -hmm. but it is like, well, this has happened before, yeah. and also maybe he didn't know exactly, like maybe he's just interpreting it from a non-Catholic perspective. Sure, yeah, because he doesn't uh, mean he wasn't talking to the Virgin Mary. Maybe totally, he was. Yeah, I mean, he his background is more like Pentecostal, uh, yeah, super Protestant. So he wouldn't yeah. know what he's looking at, right? <laughs> But it's not just in Mexico. I mean, there's Our Lady of Fatima was in Portugal, similar kind of story. Um, there's been a lot of them. So that's kind of makes you wonder like, well, uh, maybe he's also familiar with those stories and he kind of concocted this whole story to get attention. Could be, yeah. Or maybe, maybe throughout history, a beautiful lady appears and tells people things. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe it's the Virgin Mary. A, she, like he, who he described, didn't sound like the Virgin Mary, because she had blonde hair. Yeah, so it didn't sound well quite I, right. I was listening to another interview today, and it was Chris and his son Ryan together, and uh, they made the comment that these these beings sometimes will appear like they're shapeshifters. Not the word I'm looking for, but like he's perceiving. The, the, it's possible he's perceiving the Virgin Mary with blonde hair instead of brown. Like, could be the same being showing up to him. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that that's the... the that's where it's, like, demonic, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you're yeah. like, well, he's kind of just... like Coke, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to get you to uh, think a certain thing. And, uh, you know, the idea that, well, Mary changes her appearance based on, you know... I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you change your appearance all of a sudden? Yeah. Jewish lady decides to look like a S Swedish lady. Like, <laughs> why? Why Good would point. she do that? Yeah. I don't. Plus, Bledsoe's not Swedish, so <laughs> I don't know. He is Southern, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, who knows if that actually? Ha I mean, I, I I don't know if that happened. It's just part of his story, and his yeah. story is. But I do think it's interesting that. Uh, it's not an, it seems like an isolated thing, but if you actually studied like apparitions of beautiful women appearing and giving prophetic messages to people, it's actually a pretty common thing in human history. Hmm. It's not, you know, especially in Christian history, like that has happened quite a bit, you know, if you're talking about the Virgin Mary and uh, maybe that's something that was going on here. I don't know. Um, he's, it's a really hard, like, how do you verify a lot of this? It's like he has, the orb thing, I get it. Like, he's got videos of orbs. I, I think orbs show up around his house. Mm -hmm. 
is the government doing that, using him as a useful idiot, like kind of, you know, tricking him into thinking he's seeing orbs for some reason? Sounds like a, I mean, that's pretty elaborate hoax, but if it was, um, the lady appearing is kind of like, well, are you sure you weren't dreaming? You know? Right. Because I've had a lot of dreams where I swear I was awake until I, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. waking up and even thinking like, am I awake? Am I still asleep? Um, under a lot of stress, like who knows what the mind is capable of. Yeah, that's of. Uh, that's a big factor because when you you know he he goes into some detail, uh, especially in the tinfoil podcast I listened to today, um, of what kind of state he was in at the time he had this first encounter. And you gave some description earlier. You know, you're talking about failing business, and you know he seemed to have spent most of his life in a pretty chaotic state. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which I mean, he is fine, except you can't pretend like that wouldn't have an effect on your mind. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. That's kind of what I thought. Is like maybe you see orbs, but then a lot of this other stuff. Like, you, how sound is your mind? By his own admission, it's been a, a roller coaster mm-hmm. yeah. from day one. Right. Doesn't mean he's mental. It just means you know that might be a factor. I haven't studied his brain. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of curious what he was up to after, I mean, as far as what he was up to for a day job after, say, 2007. I think he just kept doing the construction stuff. Yeah, I just, what I'm wondering is like, I mean, if I'm being more like on the skeptical side of it, I'm going, did he just kind of, kind of scrape by? God, but then the kids, the, the damn kids, like, how do you explain that? Well, I guess I you could brainwash like, your kids. You, you could brainwash you could the kids get them or... to think something's real that's not. But they, they're not just like, oh, dad told us this. They're right. like, yeah, oh, see, no, dad yeah. woke me up and there was a 50-foot yeah. orb in the backyard mm-hmm. and we all saw it. And my friends saw it and it freaked us all out. And, mm-hmm. you know, and NASA was there the next day. That that help, uh, what's his name? That That was the point about him is that he was for a long time basically – when they did Operation Blue Book, I think it was, like they, like Bledsoe kind of thinks now that that's what his job was. Like yeah. he would go out and debunk right. a lot of these UFO things. So the reason he showed up at his front door was he was initially there to debunk right. what he was saying. And over time they befriended and he didn't. He realized that he was telling the truth and that whatever had happened to him it is what it is. Like they studied him because they were curious, like, why you, like, why, Mm -hmm. what, and even said something like that to him. Like, why, why do they appear to you? You know, we've been trying for 50 years to get these things to, you know, to have some sort of control over when and where they show up and they can't, can't get their arms around it. Yeah. It's kind of how he said it. I think, I think it's how he said it in the podcast, but why Dave? Well, one comment he made, in the podcast I was listening to today was uh, the people that t- he said he's shared these with. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy dad podcast. You're in a safe place. <laughs> he said he shared these uh, orbs with other people. And now like some people that they can see these orbs as well. Um, but the, the comment that he like the distinction that he made with people that can see these orbs on a regular basis versus those that can't. Um, he said every one of them has had some kind of trauma. And so, you know, 
we kind of gave hmm. the laundry list of, you know, losing wife and business troubles and, you know, almost getting, you know, almost dying in a hunting accident and then also having a lot of medical problems. That was, he's had a lot to deal with. Like you said, life of chaos. Um, he said all of these other people that he's, you know, kind of shared this with and that now they see orbs, uh, they've lost a spouse or a child or something like that. So he, he seems at least currently. Seems yeah. To interesting study to do is like, has anybody with a completely normal, bland, mundane life <laughs> seen a UFO? I mean, does anybody have that life? I don't know. Yeah, that's a funny question. I've had quite a bit of trauma in my life. I don't know. Maybe that plays a role in it. I I mean, maybe it's it's a strange. Yeah. Why would trauma? It seems like, I don't don't know how you would connect all that. I need to find somebody completely mundane. No, they, none of them see UFOs, do they? I ask them all the time. Right. Yeah. The mundane people, they don't want to see them. No. Hmm. Well, and it's funny you say that because when he mentioned that, I thought, yeah, careful what you wish for. Like, do you have to go through something terrible to open yeah. yourself up to I think something that's kind of supernatural like that? I think he, he kind of has that take on it too. Like, yeah, yeah it's not pleasant, you right. know, it's been a rough ride. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's that's the Bledsoe uh, in a, what are we doing? Like a 45 minute explanation of, of the Bledsoe story. I don't, I, is there other stuff that I'm missing that you no, want to touch you, on? You laid out, I mean, almost every bullet point that I had jotted down um you hit all of them uh i was kind of dismissive about how non-linear his story Mm -hmm. is when he i would say if you're going to check out the danny jones interview that is the most in-depth and the most long form uh take it in chunks because it kind of goes all over the place but even when you and i were just discussing this it's like boy there's just so much and it's so broad like i tried to put some of this in chronological order and it's difficult to do because there's so, yeah. there are so many things to cover. And he's still out there. Like, like, oh, I, yeah. like I said, go on to his Instagram, follow him. He, he sits out on his back porch like every other night and he just summons these orbs to yeah. show up. Um, I, from what I've read, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny. There was a video that popped up, um, on my Twitter, I think I don't think I sent you Tom DeLong talking about the bugs. No, I don't think I saw that one. This was back from I think it was a Jimmy Church interview from like years ago, but uh, I I don't. I, it's funny I find myself agreeing with Tom on things quite often. Not saying I agree with everything he's saying in it, but like his take on it. Like uh-huh. he basically was saying like, uh, yeah, people are. Um, He's describing what is going on, and he's saying that you know people people are uh, watching these programs like Ancient Aliens and these people that are getting these bizarre uh, you know theories that aliens are everything, aliens built everything, aliens made everything, and they're really worshiping these aliens. And then he stops. It's really disturbing because he's like, people need to understand it's not good. Like he's like, just get over it. Like aliens being like he's like the whole subject. He's like, it's not good. It's bad news. Okay, and. Uh, you know, the idea that they're, you know, they, that everything is, uh, aliens benevolent. He's like, it's, you know, I've been told that's not the case. <laughs> mm. And it's really, 
Yeah, that's Bledsoe's take. Is kind of like, no, no, don't be scared. They're yeah, here to help he's us. really. We're, they're here to help us. And we're coming Tom up DeLong, on a real good Tom time. DeLong, I'm not saying that Bledsoe or DeLong is correct. I'm just saying the opposite opinions. Hit Tom's opinion is no. Like there, <laughs> it's he said he said basically when when he was briefed on the subject, he said he didn't sleep for three nights. Mm-hmm. He said it's a, it's a disturbing thing to come to realize and. Um, May, I think I'm somewhere in the middle where I'm like, okay, I've seen some UFOs. I wasn't traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. I was, you know, I just saw lights in the sky and it was kind of weird. And that was it. You know, I think I probably saw orbs. It sounds a lot like what Bledsoe said he saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then Tom's whole take on it, I kind of, there's part of me that's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm the whole Independence Day kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know if it's just, I'm not going to automatically say something's benevolent just because all I don't have the information. All I have is a light in the sky. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's going to laser and kill right. me yeah. or if it's here to give me the uh, you know keys to the universe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. The way that we treat lower organisms is right. yeah. gives me pause to say well, maybe maybe yeah. it's not benevolent. And, and I think, too, that, that crack in the uh, Great Wall book – he clearly demonstrates that the majority, if not almost all of the alleged alien encounters are definitely not positive. And it's definitely people being violated and injured. And it's not anything that you could look at and say, oh, it sounds like a fun time to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Travis Walton has come around, yeah. but initially, no, he was traumatized yeah. deeply. And, uh, you know, just... We don't need to turn them into our gods. That's what I guess. Yeah, and I, I think that. Tom was kind of saying that, like yeah. just starting to worship, you know, uh, these aliens. It's weird because I think his position is like, he, you know, he's like, oh, no, God is real. God does exist and love. And like he has like this real, probably kind of agnostic, but like he d- does believe in God and he's very clear about and the aliens are not God. <laughs> mm. So the people that are turning them into like, God, you know, the same thing. Probably not the right take. And I agree with that. I don't think they're... I mean, it's a stretch to like look at something you don't understand and then immediately turn it into a deity. Be like, wow, there's this, you know, whatever it it is. Like, oh, I've never seen that. Let's worship it. Well, (laughs) that's not that... I mean, I do think it's a bad idea, but it's not a hard leap for people to make. There's a big, bigger thing than me that I don't understand. It's got to be a deity. Yeah, that's that's the premise of that. Yeah. What I'm working on yeah. is that's the uh, it's a human nature. Uh, it's in our nature, whether it's on a on a local level of you walk into a room and they you know everyone's wearing the same uniform. Yeah, and you feel like you want to be a part of this club. Mm-hmm. To uh, you know when you're suffering uh, some great tragedy and you just you know, fall to your knees and look to the sky. And it's like, they're, you know, it's human nature to believe in something greater than ourselves. And, you know, God knows that, but Satan knows that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that you could easily be drawn away from God to worship God knows what, you know, just because it's our nature. I mean, to do it, walk into a room where everyone's dressed different than you. And yeah. you, you feel it pulling on oh, you. like for sure, yeah. You know, or, or you know, if you've ever been a part of like a, a band 
you get in a band and it's like you, you belong and you have this place and you're part of something. It's greater than you, you know? Yeah. Play a gig by yourself. Oh, yeah. Then go play a gig with your five best friends. Mm-hmm. And it's, you just can't even compare. You know, which do you want to do? Right. You know? Yeah. That's my take. <laughs> Is that about wrap it up? Yeah, as far as Bledsoe's concerned. You have I a think dad hack for us? Um, what was the one I had? I did have one and now I've forgotten it. Man. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about doing well. Okay, yeah, no, I got it. It's back. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I got to. We may have talked about doing crazy stuff in front of your kids just so they think that anything can happen. Well, there's Not that. that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we can get into we can get into that as well. Um, but specifically, I was thinking of uh, Kokomo. <laughs> We were talking about this concept of like, you have to do things to make your kids think you're a little crazy. And like Kokomo was like, yeah, one time I threw a laptop out the window of my car just to show them like, I'll do anything. Um, Not long ago, my son was, he wanted to let me know that he was not going to wear jeans to church. He was going to wear whatever he wanted. So I decided we, yeah, you are going to wear jeans, but before that you're going to unload my car and uh it's just like a silly like i never make him unload my music equipment mm-hmm. but today it was raining and you're being kind of a brat and if you think that you're not in or if you think you're in charge in this house then you're not think again so least a lot of dad is just making sure they know they're not in charge totally yeah so that was like that was my favorite punishment I've doled out in a while was watching him unload my gear in the rain. So there's a quick little dad hack for you. Um, but then I mentioned that to my brother and he said to one of his buddies, who's a dad, this is the actual dad hack. Um, if you're going to be doing some remodeling around the house, don't tell the family. I mean, the wife can know, but don't tell your kids and just start tearing the house up. <laughs> Tear the doors off the wall. Whatever you need to do they the demo mad. on. Just, and you just punch a hole yeah, through the wall. Yeah, just tear. And he said, you know, like he said his buddy was going to be replacing doors. So he just tore doors off of doorways <laughs> and let his kids think that he was nuts. The Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't, I don't know to this day if he ever explained like it was time. That's to, a good one. Yeah. So that's it. The premise is you need to do something to make your kids think you're a little bit crazy. Uh, but practical application is... If you happen to have a home remodeling job coming up, that's a good opportunity to use that trick. That's a good opportunity. Yeah. I guess mine would be, uh, we were talking about cigars on the yeah. way up. You tell that story about your son. What yeah. You, so well, I, to bring people up to, I left some cigars uh, at a party and you were there and I was like, hey, Dave, grab the cigars for me before mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. So you had a big thing of my cigars. <laughs> like a brick of them. Like a brick of them <laughs> yeah. sitting in your in your house. And this was your son's natural reaction to yeah, seeing, he that, says, uh, seeing these cigars. What is this? And I was like, oh, these are Dante's cigars. I got to take them back to his place. You should throw them away, you know, because <laughs> we're indoctrinated to think that sugar is okay, but tobacco yeah, yeah, is bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Uh, they're his, for one. And then, like I mentioned to Dante, I was like, and I happen to like one every now and again, too. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't smoke in front of my kids. So, yeah, you were saying. Well, that's I made that decision um, years ago. Part of me was just like. Okay, I when the kids are younger, I every now and then my buddies would come over. We'd smoke cigars, mm-hmm. 
maybe once a month. I don't know. Not very often. Yeah. Every every now and then we'll smoke a cigar. And then uh, it just got me really thinking about like, because then you start to hide it from the kids the older right. you get. Yeah. And I just thought, this is my house. This is my family. And I'm not going to let some Ronald Reagan <laughs> anti-drug <laughs> program yeah. dictate the way that I act sure. in my house right now. Yeah. And I just... I, I was just, no big deal. I'm. What are you doing, Dad? I'm smoking cigars you're, in the backyard with my with my you're buddy. You're doing something totally legal. That's There's not n- wrong. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with it. I know many doctors who smoke cigars. It's like, yeah. The idea that we've and and I could tell like the first couple of times they would come out, you know, fire pits going and they'd see, there's a little bit of like, oh, what's what's going yeah. on? Am I supposed but to see this? You just take a big drag and blow it in their face. <laughs> you just like, you just be yeah. yourself. I just think that, that like we should get back to more of that. Like this, yes, smoking cigarettes is bad for you, but mm-hmm. where is the, the prudence? What, why can't people just, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, it's not crack cocaine. It's not. Right, yeah. As much as the world wants you to think it is, I have I have smoked or used tobacco products since I was under 18. <laughs> and I have never been addicted to them, ever. Yeah. I'm not saying other people do, obviously, but yeah. um, I don't know. It's just, it felt weird to me to be like, damn it, I'm not hiding anything from my kids. Mm-hmm. Yes, I smoke cigars. So what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe that's a good uh, litmus test for what you're doing is like you should be able to do stuff in front of your kids. Now, I mean, you don't want your kids using bad language at school, so keep an eye on what I you're cuss watching. in front of my kids all the time. Now, yeah, having said that, I swear in front of my kids. <laughs> but they but know I, they know they're not supposed to say I, it. <laughs> but I also don't swear all the time. Yeah. Right? So I, I think it's actually really funny when like toddlers cuss. I think it's cute. <laughs> <laughs> they say, damn it. It is oh, yeah, so is funny. funny yeah. So I don't know. The cigars, I think, uh, you know, obviously if you don't like cigars, but if you like cigars <laughs> and you're a dad, grow a pair, walk into the backyard, light up a cigar and smoke it. And if your kids see you, who cares? Mm-hmm. They, okay, great. They know more about yeah. you. Yeah. You know, because one day they're going to smoke cigars. Right. It's, you know? It might not be the worst thing for them to see a healthy relationship with something like cigars be modeled for them. They're not good for you, but neither is a cheeseburger. So. And that's, yeah, when we were talking about it earlier, I just thought, yeah, we we buy our kids, Sour Patch kids, all the time. Yeah, literally that pantry's full of it's Just of garbage. Like nothing good for and my kids. And we're getting all you're worried worked about up about a tobacco. cigar every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been the uh, Conspiracy Dad Podcast. And uh, if you like the show, please like, subscribe, share. Uh, We will see you guys next time.